You guys, uh, we just finished up a sermon series uh, through the grace of prayer, and today we're going to be starting in the book of Hebrews, and this will be a pretty good, chunky portion of our year, at least half of it, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. And man, I've never preached through Hebrews, um, I have read it, and I've kind of quasi, not really studied it, but read it, and you know, try to apply the truths of what Hebrews is to my life, and I, th- I want to tell you, this week as I dove into Hebrews, it is, it is like, it's like, um, you ever eat like brownies, but like you get that thick part of the brownie, you know what I'm talking about, where it's almost like dried up fudge, and you're like, ooh, I really need some milk, and so, ooh, he needs some milk, um, the, the, the book of Hebrews is dense, it is rich, and so, We cannot approach this book and just kind of quasi like, okay, Kelly's just going to figure it all out, and then I'll, you know, like hopefully glean something from what Kelly says. Um, I mean, man, like I'm going to encourage you as a church, Southlands Chino, let's dive into this book. Um, In our community groups, we're going to be very intentional about how we disseminate what's happening in our groups and and focusing around the truths that we hear on Sundays and then studying through it. We'll probably take a little bit more of a studious um, approach instead of just kind of like, well, I feel, but it'll be more like, man, this is what it says and let's get after it. So I'm excited about going through the book of Hebrews. And I want to start us off a little bit this morning because of the denseness, the richness of the book of Hebrews, giving us a context, giving us some a backstory on what's happening here, and an intro, so to speak, if you will, on what the book of Hebrews is. So, if you were to read the book of Hebrews, and if you've done it before, you know that the theme is that Jesus is better, right? Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. You're going to see this over and over and over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews is going to tell us, hey, I know you think this is great, I know that you've been putting your hope in this, and you've been starting to like think about these things, but I want to remind you, church, I want to remind you about the truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus is better, all right? So everybody say, Jesus is better. There, you got the, you got the theme of Hebrews, that's what it is. And it is no, it's not a problem for me, and it's not a problem for the Hebrew writer, and it's not a problem for the Word of God to continue to remind us of this truth that Jesus is better because we tend to depart from this truth in life, don't we? We tend to get all excited about the shiny little dangly things that distract us. And what the writer of Hebrews is going to do is going to continually remind us to stay the course, to lift our eyes on the one who is worthy, who is Christ. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the cool thing about this. It's not that Jesus is just the better option out of the many options that we have. Let me, let me try to explain it this way. Um, Marianne and I play this little, like, so cute argument. Are you guys all like, eh, right now? Okay. But we have this little cute argument that we do very often. And we'll say, you know, we'll say, I love you. And then the other person says, I love you more. And then the other person goes, I love you most, right? Thinking, I trumped you. And then the person who says, I love you most, gets a rebuttal and says, but I still love you more, right? So no matter how much one person says, I love you most, the answer can always be, but I still love you more. 
And I think the writer of Hebrews is helping us understand that it's not like Jesus is just, well, I got you with the most. And then the writer of Hebrews goes, no, but Jesus is still better. Well, yeah, but this is really good. And then the writer of Hebrews goes, but Jesus is even better than that. Imagine the most betterest thing. That's not a word, but imagine what I'm trying to say here. The betterest thing that you could think of in your life. Well, that's the betterestestest, right? And then the Hebrew writer says, but Jesus is still better. All right, so that's the theme of the book, is that Jesus is better. Now, who wrote Hebrews? Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. Nobody knows. All these smart theologians, scholars, they all go back. I read A.W. Pink this week, and he is really good, and he is super convinced Paul wrote the book. But I want to stand here some years later and go, A.W. Pink, we don't know A.W. Pink, you don't know. Nobody knows who wrote the book. And so my encouragement to you, some of us like to get off on these weird tangents, right? And we're like, man, we're going to figure this out. Maybe you get in your community groups, and your community group wrongly tries to lead you down a road of saying, we're going to figure out who the author of this book is. Tell them, stop it in the name of Jesus. That's not the point of this book. It's not to try to figure it out. The answer is, we don't know who wrote the book. But what we do know, it's most likely that this book was written to Jewish Christians, because you'll see over and over that the writer is going to say things like your fathers, or it was done this way back in the day, the Old Testament ways, assuming that his readers knew of the Old Testament ways, the laws of the Jews. So there were probably Jewish Christians, completed Jews who had put their hope and faith in Christ and become disciples of Jesus, but the problem is that these people are starting to revert. They're starting to go back to their old traditions. They're starting to say, you know, you ever heard people be called the Wenwees? All right, well, let me explain that. You ever hear somebody is like, you, all they ever can do is tell you a story about, well, when we, when we, when we, and the, the, the Hebrew church here, whoever these people are, are starting to become the Wenwees. And they're starting to go, well, that's not the way I've always done it, right? And then they're just putting their hope back. This seemed to work, so let's go back to these old traditions. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Stop putting your hope in the external old ways, the old systems of coming to God that you were taught by your forefathers, and now put all your chips in one basket, or your eggs in one basket, all your chips on the table, and that is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is better. Alright? So, C.S. Lewis really does a good job. And he, he, he's not thinking of the book of Hebrews. I don't think he is when he wrote this. You know, the Chronicles of Narnia. So if you know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia, we were praying about this this morning, about the lion. The lion represents Jesus. And then there's this little girl named Lucy. And she's, you know, interacting very often with the lion. And so this is a conversation that the lion, and his name is Aslan, and, and Lucy have. He says, welcome child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Now, what is C.S. Lewis trying to help us understand here? He's saying it's not that Jesus changes, and then depending on circumstances, that Jesus is 
either better or the betterest. No. See, what, what he's saying is, when as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, we see him bigger, brighter, stronger, more glorious. Not that he, he's growing, so to speak, but he's growing where? In our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. My charge to us, Southlands Chino, if we take the book of Hebrews seriously, which we all should, if we dive into this book, this for the next six months, whatever it is, which we should, if we all on one journey go together, which we should, you will not be able to stand here today and look back in six months and say, Jesus is not the best. You will not be able to have a small picture of who Jesus is. You will not be able to hold on to your old ways, your old traditions of thinking, man, this seems better because what is going to happen is you're going to find a transformation in your life that Jesus is better and you're going to put your hope in him. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll say, man, I have found myself more in love with Jesus than I was the other day. Uh, I heard a country western song the other day. He says, I don't love you the way I used to. Uh, and I thought, I first was listening, I was like, oh man, this is a sad song. And, but then he's like, no, I love you more than when I first got married to you. I love you more than when we first dated. And hopefully that will happen with us as we go through the book of Hebrews. All right, so you guys ready to dive in? All right, here we go. So we're just, what we're going to do today, because this is like a thick brownie, like I said before, is that a good analogy for you? Maybe you, no? Maybe like a, a porterhouse, like just like a porterhouse steak that is like so dense. If somebody who didn't cook it right left it raw in the middle, you know, but you, know, you, you want it medium rare. If you cook a steak above medium, I don't know if you know Jesus. I don't know if you're saved, all right? Um, but this is like, it's a meal. So, you know, I sat under a pastor for years and he says, how do you eat elephant?" One bite at a time, all right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're gonna, like, there's a big old elephant in the room. That's weird. But there's an elephant, and we're going to just go, whoo, whoo. That was, a, it's, but it's medium rare, so it's okay, all right? Okay, here we do. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Everybody say, God spoke. To our fathers by the prophets. Let me read that again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, you might feel like, man, this is like old news for some of us. But I think what the writer of Hebrews is, he's setting up something for us here that we're going to unpackage in a moment. And he's telling us something obvious that if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you understand that God speaks to us. We just went through a sermon series on prayer, didn't we? And part of that was like God hears our prayers. He likes hearing us. He likes us coming to Him in prayer. But not only do we talk to Him, He speaks to us, right? Well, here the writer of the Hebrews is confirming God speaks. Now, don't allow this just to be like, I get that. I understand that. There's something that the writer of Hebrews is intentionally trying to draw out in us. And one of those things is, he is confirming that God does speak to us. God does speak to us. Why does God speak to us? Because he loves us. God does speak to us because he wants us to know his will. He wants us to know his ways. He wants us to understand his character. 
Because when we do that, when we know His will, His ways, His character, the truths of who He is, we then are impacted by those things, right? And then we then therefore live our lives in a way accordingly to the truth of His will, His ways, and His character. We can't help it. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, I'm confirming you guys. Remember and how he's writing to a Jewish audience that our fathers, speaking of the Jewish lineage, way back in the day, the, he, God has spoken to us. And who did he speak to us by? The prophets. All right? So let's continue this a little bit more. Um, and and here, here's the cool thing. It's not just general revelation. Okay, if, if you're a little bit of a theologian, you know there's a difference between general revelation of who God is, and then there's something called special revelation. Well, general revelation, here's some examples of general revelation that we see in the Bible. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge, is what the Bible tells us. This is like general revelation. You don't have to have God speak audibly to you to know that God speaks. You ever sit with somebody and you go camping and you get away from the, the light pollution and you see the stars and then you go, whoa, right? Well, Romans confirms this too. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So, so, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The, Paul's telling us here is like, no one has an excuse to deny there's a God. Why? Because just open your eyes, look around, and that will confirm there's a God. And that's general revelation. Uh, us seeing nature and its beauty and its splendor and its grandeur may not bring you to a conclusion that you need to repent of your sin and become a Christian and fall down and worship and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Because that's just general. But there's special revelation, special where God speaks directly to us. And the Hebrew writers confirming this, he says, it wasn't just that God spoke in a vague way and let us just understand the cosmos and go, whoa, there must be a God. But God in His grace to us and he came down and he spoke directly to us. How did he do that? Well, he did it through the prophets. And so if you were to go back and read the Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over and over again God coming to someone and saying, I want you to tell this group of people about my will, about my ways, about my character, and how they should live their life accordingly, right? And so he's confirming this. So there was special revelation. But, and there's a big old but, you guys. I mean, a big but. A really big but. Now, we're talking about elephants, okay? Remember, we're eating an elephant. Elephants got big butts. And they cannot lie. Never mind. Okay. Sorry. Melody, I love you. I love you. B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, all right? And the writer of Hebrews uses this word. Look at verses, verse 2. So, But in these last days, He has spoken to us, everyone say, by His Son. By his son. Yes, let me read that again. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. 
Son. Now, the Hebrew writer set us up. He set us up. Because if you were a Jewish Christian who had reverted back to this, man, the prophets were the best. The way that we got knowledge about understanding who God is through a prophet, through these old ways, through dreams and visions and all that, he's, it's the best. And the writer's saying, hey, this is the best. And then all of a sudden he says, but. And we have to understand what the writer's trying to tell us. He's saying, that was good. That was helpful. But in these last days, God speaks to us through Jesus. And Jesus is better. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. You mean Jesus is better than like our traditions that we've had for thousands of years? You're just going to tell us all of that's for nothing? No, He's not telling us all for nothing. What He's telling us is, is there something better than having someone else tell you about God's wills, God's ways, and His character. There's something better, and it's through Jesus, and it's directly to you. It's directly available to you so that you're not getting parts pieces, vague things here, and interpret it this way, and well, I think it's like this, and we all get to be subjectively making our own decisions about how God was speaking to us. No, there is a clear, clarion call through Christ of who God is, His will, His way, and His character, and Jesus is better. So let's, let's just unpackage this verse 2 because there might be some words in here that we go, wait a minute, what is, what is the writer of Hebrews trying to convey here? He uses certain words that I would interpret in 2022 a different way. And he says this, but in these last days. Now what is the writer of Hebrews saying when he's talking about last days? Is he talking about end times? Is he saying like in these last days, you know, like when Jesus would talk and he'd say like toward the end times there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be wars and there's going to be famines and there's going to be you know, all this nonsense happening and we're like, yeah, this must be the last days where Jesus is going to come back. Is that what the writer of Hebrews is saying? No, that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Well, what is he saying? This is what it means by in the last days. So let me do a little bit of nerdery here. You guys all right? You guys hanging in there? Because it's some rich, dense stuff here. Before, long ago, God would speak to us through prophets. Long ago, God would speak to us through visions and dreams primarily. But he's saying in these last days, and when he says last days, he's speaking of an era has ended, and now we come to Jesus. See, Jesus is the game changer. Jesus is the final chapter. There is nothing to be added anymore. This why this Bible right here, we get to Revelation, and guess what happens? End of story. There's a period. And it's like the king and I. You know where I'm going with this. So let it be written. So let it be done. End of the story. Boom. Ugh. All right? And so when the writer of Hebrews is saying, in these last days, he's saying, Hebrew people, church, stop going back to the old and stop looking for something maybe new and different that's going to give you a different perspective. He's saying Jesus is the story. Jesus is the final chapter. Um, you, you know, when Scripture says, man, God, God who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's talking about the sanctification. And I always think about how God's writing His story. 
Scott and Haley moving to Arizona. In God's story, God's writing the story of their life. God's writing our story continuously, isn't He? And so that, therefore we say, well, because God's the author, God's the writer, I can put my hope and trust in His story and not try to have to write my own story. Well, in a bigger picture, for not just us individually only, but for us as a people who follow Jesus, the writer of Hebrews saying, there's no more that you have to worry about. It's done. It's finished. And it's better. It's so much better. Are you, you guys understanding that? And so the, the problem with the long ago portion of when, when God used to speak to us is that that kind of way was incomplete. It was insufficient. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't, in er- it wasn't like full of errors. It wasn't, um, you know, like bad morality or bad theology or not correct and understanding. It was all of those things, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't whole. It wasn't finished. Remember how we talked about um, the Old Testament is Christ concealed? The New Testament is what? Christ revealed. And that's really what's happening here. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Christ has been revealed to you now. The old prophets would like prophesy and it was like, mysterious and sometimes it was really clear, but sometimes it was like, I'm not really sure what's happening here. And now we get full clarity on who God is. And so this, friends, is where we see the first Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the prophets. Some of you feel like, might feel a little like, oh, I can't believe he said that. And if you feel a little bit like, I can't believe he said that, it's because there's a part of your heart that wants to long for these old traditions, long for some old ways that you knew how to get to God, and you tried to do it bypassing through Christ. Or around Christ, I should say. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, there is no other way. It has been done. It is complete. It is finished. And in its completeness, it is powerful. In its completeness, it is whole. In its completeness, if you find freedom, you find clarity, you find power to live your life. Because in its completeness is Jesus. All right. Um, let me, well, okay, let me, let me try to explain it this way. You guys know what a sundial is? Okay. Anybody here know how to use a sundial? Okay. Anybody have a sundial? No, none of us do. But we probably know what it is. A sundial helped. If you don't know what it was, it was like the circle. has a little triangle on it, and you put it in a specific area that got sun all day. And depending on the position of the sun, this triangle would cast a shadow, hopefully somewhat like a clock, right? And this is how they used, we used to be able to tell what hour of the day it was, depending. Now, the problem with a sundial, as good as a sundial is, it's incomplete. What happens when it's super cloudy outside or raining? What time is it? I don't know. It feels like about three, right? Because when it's this dark, it's like three o'clock dark, right? Now, as, as good as a sundial is and as helpful as a sundial is, anyone here have a watch on their wrist? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a lot of us do. A lot of us use our phones and 
your watch or your phone is connected to a place, I think, somewhere in the East Coast that is like real military time that doesn't change. It doesn't. And this thing now is complete. This thing, you have no guess anymore about what time it is. Because no matter how sunny or no matter how shadowy or overcast or rainy or what time of night it is, your wristwatch is going to tell you the exact time. And this is kind of what the Hebrew writer, it's not a perfect analogy, I, I get that, because there is no real perfect analogy for this, but what he's saying is, sundial was good, but there's too many variables. There's too many things that you could go, well, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. And, and so the writer's saying, now you got a wristwatch. And this wristwatch takes out all the excuses about you being late, okay? If you're, if you're two minutes late, you're late. How do we spell on time? Here, E-A-R-L-Y. All right, that's just so you know. Right, that's how we do it in our family. When you're late, that means you don't care about other people. Just, all right, I'm getting off on a tangent, just so. So here, here's some beautiful truths about Jesus being better. So if he is the one who we hear the voice of God through, like how does that work out? Like, what is the writer saying? Like, okay, God spoke to us. Prophets, I understood. If somebody would come up here and I feel like God's saying, just like this morning, God's leaning us to repentance through Leslie's word, right? An encouragement of, to repent. I understand that. That's like a, a prophecy kind of a thing. But how do we see a clearer picture of the voice of God through Christ? Well, here's what Scripture says. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what John is doing here is he is, he is declaring that Jesus, this right here, like this is not Jesus, but that Jesus is the Word. The Word of God is in Him, and He is the Word, and He was from the beginning. Alright? So he, he's saying, if you want to know the words of God, look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Okay? He, he'll continue. John 14, verse 9, this is where Jesus is declaring, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has what? Seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you do it? We do it all the time. I don't know God's will. I don't know what God wants for me. I feel like my life has no purpose. I feel like my calling, I'm not sure. All of these things. And Jesus is like, hello? Have I not like been with you? If, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know the voice of God by knowing who Jesus is. How do we know who Jesus is? We look at His Word. And we understand His character, His will, His ways, His truth of His character. And then therefore, we go, oh, this is who God is. And so because this is who God is, this is how I live my life in accordance. All right. Now, here's a really cool story. There's, man, let me get this guy's name right. You might already know it. Um, Ingmar Berman. Anybody who knows? Yes. Oh, Mike. Okay, Renaissance man. All right. Ingmar Bergman was a Swedish filmmaker, and there's a story about he was listening to some like classic music, and somehow it overwhelmed him so much that he, he felt like he got into a vision. And in this vision, he's walking through a cathedral somewhere in Europe, 
And as he's walking through this cathedral, he sees a picture of Jesus. And in his vision, he goes up to the picture and he says, Speak to me. Speak to me. Speak to me. Well, it never answered back. And so then he, I don't know if he got all bitter or, you know, got all, you know, artsy people, whatever they do, but he got into his like little artsy world and he created this whole movie called The Silence about how you, you know, people, God doesn't speak and we can't hear God's voice. And the problem with this is that he's looking to the wrong picture. We have to not do the same thing. We have to look at the right picture of who Jesus is. See, what we can't do is go, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. Lord, Lord, speak to me. And he's like, pick it up. It's right here. I mean, honestly, you could, don't do this, but you could, and God's speaking to you, all right? You ever hear that story? He's like, God, speak to me. And he opens up the Bible and Judas went and, went and hung himself. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. And he opened it again. Go and thou do likewise. Oh, no, 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 that can't be right, you know. Now, the writer of Hebrews knows that we and the, his audience could be skeptical, right? All right, you're telling me, I mean, I'm a, I, man, my family grew up with the traditions. My family knows our history, our spiritual history. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Don't you tell me. I mean, I like get what you're saying because yes, I put my hope in Jesus, but that was kind of like for me to get my foot in the door. My understanding is once I get my foot in the door, I have to rely on my traditions. I have to rely on religion. And they might have been skeptical. Just like some of us here. You can hear me say, or whoever, and you read your Bible, whatever. Sunday after Sunday, community group after community group, devotional after devotional. Yes, I know Jesus is the only way, but somehow we go whoop and go towards other stuff and we go, well, Jesus is better, but this seems really betterist right now. That is still a word, okay? And so he knows that we be tempted. And so on purpose, he's going to write some things about being Jesus being better and this is what he says Hebrews verses 1 chapter 1 verse 3 let's continue it he says this about you want you want me to confirm Jesus is better than prophets take a look at this he Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature speaking of the father and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, Hebrew church. Listen, Southlands Chino. Uh, you can hear it over and over again. Jesus is better. And you might somehow be convinced by the pastor being like whatever. And you, oh, that sounds convincing. But the, when the rubber hits the road, when you, you're at a fork in the road, when it comes push to shove, you're going to be tempted to not believe these things. And if you don't know the truth of who Jesus is, you will easily revert back to what is easy. You will easily go back to your traditions. You will easily become the wenwees. And so the Hebrew writer says, I know you will be tempted to do that. So let me declare to you why you should not. Why should you believe Jesus is better than the prophets? Because He's the radiance of the glory of God. Now let's just take that for a moment. The radiance of the glory of God. Well, what does that mean? 
You know, things that are radiant, there's a difference between things that reflect and things that radiant are radiant. Your radiator in your car, you ever like see in the movies or maybe you experience this yourself when you're driving and steam comes out of your car and you're like, what's going on? Well, your radiator overheated, right? Is your radiator reflecting heat or is it like you ever touch it? It's hot, okay? And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus isn't reflecting the glory of God. He's radiating the glory of God. He is in His essence is coming from Him. So that means what? Jesus is God. And so when we are tempted to put our hope in peripherals, the writer of Hebrews is saying, uh, 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 don't do that. See, Jesus isn't just some mere like child, really good prophet, the most perfect prophet. He's not like the most nice guy who's ever lived. He's not the most persuasive guy who got thousands of people and was super charismatic. And you should listen to all his words because he has really good... He is God. He radiates the glory of God. All right. If you're not convinced yet, this is what... If you were a Jewish Christian listening to this, your mind would have gone to Exodus. Where would it have gone? I wrote it down in my notes. It would have gone to Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. You would have known this. And this is what it says. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So here... Our forefathers were in the, in the desert. What happened? God came to these people in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire so they could see where they were going and be led. And when Jesus is saying that he is the glory of God, the radiant one, there's this personification of the presence of God, just like the Hebrew people would have had in the desert. Now it's been in a person, and that person is Jesus. So there would be no more, well, who is Jesus and how do I find the presence and the understanding of God? The writer of Hebrews said, remember your forefathers had this personification, so to speak. Now it's in a person and it's personal and he's come and he died on a cross and he took away your sins forever and ever and put your hope in that person. No more in these old clouds and fires that was really cool looking, but now it's been perfected and complete. In Christ. So they would have understood this like, wow, Jesus is the, the, the Old Testament um, or the rabbis. This word's not in the Bible, but the rabbis used to use this word called Shekinah. Shekinah. It, it's, a, it's a glory of God, it's a, a brightness of the glory of God, it's a personification of the glory of God. And that's what the Hebrew writer is saying is Jesus is the personification of the Shekinah of the glory of who God is. He's the radiant one, not the reflected one, the radiant one. All right? You guys doing all right? You getting it? Okay. Um, this is what the Ni Nicene Creed says. It's good to go back and read the creed. It says, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God light from light, true God from true God, speaking of Jesus. Now, 
he continues and he uses this other little phrase and he says this about Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Now I'm going to read something from a commentary that's going to help us not get into heresy here this morning. Because whenever we start getting into the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our human minds does not compute, right? And starts you start going, wait a minute, and like, and then springs start going, boing, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? And then what we try to do is stuff it back in there, and then we think, oh, we've got this all completely buttoned up. And then a lot of the time, it, it's not really true because we've tried to humanize our understanding of who God is. And the Trinity is just one of those things. The other thing is, you know, um, like God never had a beginning. You know, and then, we become, and then we create all these theories and it's heretical. Well, what is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying about Jesus being, what does he say, the exact imprint of his nature? So we must understand, friends, that Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. Yet they are one. They are one God. And they are the same nature. Okay? But they're not the same person. And so then we go, right? It's like, I'm not sure how to walk forward. Well, Kent Hughes is going to help us here. He says this about this. The word translated exact imprint refers to the image on a coin that perfectly corresponds to the image on the die. Now, we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus is therefore completely the same in his being as the Father. However, there is still an important distinction. Both exist separately, as do the die and its image. Jesus is distinct, much as John also emphasizes when he says the Word was with God. Jesus is all God, very God of very God. When you see him, you see the Father, but he is also a distinct person. This is all bound in with the mystery of the Holy Trinity. So, what the commentator is trying to help us understand is, he is fully God, but he is not the Father. And when he says that he is the exact imprint, um, this was referring to like coins. Now, if when a coin our day is struck, I don't know how you do it nowadays, but they would, they, they would have an artist write like George Washington or draw out George Washington's face, right? And if you want to know what George Washington looked like, you pull out a quarter and you go, oh, okay, honest, not honest, Abe, truthful George. <laughs> That's not a saying. Okay, so you look at that and you go, oh, but... The image on the coin is not the same as where it's not the it's not it's not the die, but it's the exact. If you look at it, you know exactly what's on the the thing that's hitting it, right? And so he's saying they're they're two separate things, but they are the same, okay? And so when the writer of Hebrews is saying, "What do you, let me just boil it down to this? You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus." Was that better? I could have just done all that in like five seconds. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God thinks about your life? Look at Jesus. You want to know God's love for you? Look at Jesus. You want to know about what you should do, whether you should move, whether you should stay, whether you should marry, whether you should leave a job? Look at Jesus. You want to know whether you should lie? Look at Jesus. You want to know whether you should sin? Look at Jesus. You want to know whether you should live a holy life? Look at Jesus. You want to know whether you should try to get to God? 
by your good moral standards? Look to Jesus. You want to know if you should live a licentious life? And then go like, well, God will just forgive me of everything I do anyway because there's grace? Look to Jesus. And he'll give you truth in every single one of those things. Why? Because Jesus is the exact imprint of who God is. There is no guessing anymore. And so when the Hebrew writer says Jesus is better than the prophets, we go, thank you. I don't have to like hear a story from hearing a story from hearing a story or hearing a story. It's shady outside. I'm not exactly sure what time the sundial is trying to tell me. I now have a watch that's connected to maritime, digital, unshakable, never changing, always constant truth. I look at it and go, oh, it's 10 o'clock. Shoot, I'm late for church. Should have been there at least by 9.55. Why should I be there at 9.55? Because there's other people? Okay, never mind. And then, last thing here, he says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who can uphold the universe? Can you? Nope. What about the prophets? Could they uphold the universe by the power of their words? Nope. What about like one of the greatest conquerors, Caesar or Alexander the Great. These guys, I mean, uh, Judah was reading about one of these great kings in his history class, and he just, he got bored. There was nowhere else to, like, conquer the world. Everybody knew his name. He just, you know, there was nowhere that didn't know him. Can he, by the power of his word, uphold the universe? No. Who can uphold the universe? By the power of the word. Only God can do that. Only God can, in a, with, with, with one word, say something like, let there be light. And then what would happen? Light. Well, where did that come from? I mean, did God, like, find some stuff to make light? No, He created the stuff that makes the light. Well, let there be stuff that crawls all over the ground, creepy, crawly things in my life wife loves so much. Let, let there be birds that have full feathers and their bones will be hollow. They'll have structure, but it'll be light. Why? Because they're going to have to fly. And I'm going to say, in an instant, it's going to exist and it's going to be perfect. Who can uphold the Who's the one who can make our atoms not go fly apart in trillions in pieces? What is the law that keeps them together? It's the eye of God constantly holding all things together. Who is that? Jesus. And so for you and me, who tend to go, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know about my life. I feel anxious. I don't know what God wants for me. There's a situation and I can't sleep because I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Or I think that i got to figure it out in my own power. And woohoo, Hello. Let me remind you, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than you trying to figure out what you try to figure out. He's better than you doing your best work on your best day, having the best results you could. He's better than that. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything. Well, this seems betterer. Well, Jesus is betterer-ist. He's better. He's better. He's better. He's better than your moral behavior. He's better than 
your good intentions. Can I just encourage this generation right here? Earnestness is not maturity necessarily. Putting your hope in Jesus is maturity. And I think we feel the same thing too. Not just the younger generation, but sometimes we think, man, my earnest, my most earnest day, I really meant what I did. God's going to reward that. No. See, what God rewards is us having a clear understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is better. Oh boy. I mean, that's only the first three verses. It's like, it's like concrete, guys. But mineable if we take it serious. So let's stand together this morning.